Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. If you have your Bible this morning, uh, grab it open with me to Proverbs chapter 11. And I want to share a message today that is the second part of what I began to preach last week, uh, a series I've entitled, I've called God's Country. This part two of God's Country. Um, It still sounds like a country song, doesn't it? God's Country. Just But I know it is. Somebody told me that last week. It actually is a country song. Uh, Well, this isn't that, but it's God's country. And I want to preach. And and, and the message this week I've entitled Blessed and Free. Blessed and Free, part two in this series. Proverbs 11.11 says this. By the blessing of the upright, a city, or I'm going to put nation in there. I think that's fair. By the blessing of the upright, a nation is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. And let me just stop there for a moment and, 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 and talk here and preach here for a minute. I want you to see this. I want you to get what this is saying. It's by the blessing of the upright. Let me put another set of words to that. It's by the blessing of the holy. It's by God blessing the righteous. It's by God blessing his people. It's God by God blessing his holy people, his upright people, that a nation is exalted. So let me put that in the context of America. Do you know why America is blessed? America is blessed because God has blessed those that are the church that have chosen to live a life that is righteous and holy. It's by the blessing of the upright that God exalts a nation. Now, now I want you to get this this morning. God has called you and he's called me to be his people. Amen? But get this piece of it. He hasn't just called us to be his people in name. He's called us to be his people in the sense he's called us to be a holy people. He's called us to be a righteous people. He's called us to be a special people. Not because we're better or or, or more special, but he's called us to be separate and be different. He's called us to be holy. And if we read the second part of this verse, it says, By the blessing of the upright or the holy, a city, a nation is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. And here's the second piece of that. When the people of God make a decision, make a choice to let their heart wander from God and no longer be a holy people, the blessings of God will soon leave, soon evaporate. America's been blessed. We are prosperous We're prosperous because of the blessing of God on his people, a holy and upright people. People, Now listen to me, we're not perfect. We've never been perfect. This nation has never been perfect. This nation, back at its founding, put together documents that said all men are created equal. You guys know this story. But then this nation ran into the problem that a a lot of the people, a lot of the states, some of the states in in this nation decided we like the document, we like the sound of that, but we're not going to live up to it. And this nation at its very founding ended up with a place where we had a battle going on. We first fought the Revolutionary War and defeated the English, but then we turned around and had an internal fight about what does it mean all men are created equal. And it came to the point to where a portion of the nation said it means all men are created equal. White, black, brown, it doesn't matter. And a portion of the nation said, no, I don't accept that. All men are created equal, but I'm not going to give up my slaves. 
Now, we're living in a time period right now where a lot of people are critical of our founding fathers, and some of them rightfully so. But I want you to think this through because, you know, it's easy to stand 200 years down the road and have all the answers. But what they came up with, uh, what they came up against was either we're going to make a compromise or America is not going to happen. Either we're going to make a compromise or America is never going to be. This government isn't going to form. This nation is not going to make it. So they made a compromise and the compromise was ugly and it wasn't perfect and it was messed up. And the compromise was some states will keep slavery and the northern states will not keep slavery. But we're going to make the principle of our doctrine all men are created equal. God has blessed us because people chose to live holy, but not all people. And none of us have been perfect. We also got to remember that it was the work of abolitionists and missionaries. And, and, and in the 50s, it was the work of civil rights workers that brought us to at least a place where we're closer to all men are created equal, right? And sometimes people forget that Martin Luther King was a pastor. That it was Christians that led in the forefront of many of those very things. A few weeks ago, I was at my mom's. Many of you, maybe all of you know she has dementia and uh, is in a a memory care unit facility. And uh, she has a picture frame we've got that sits on her floor that has just different pictures of the family in it. And she was looking at it when I was sitting there visiting with her one day, and she pointed to the one on the bottom She'd been telling me who different people was. And she said, I know who that is. That's, that's, uh, that's me and you. And I said, no, Mom, that's not me and you. That's, that's you and Dad. And she said, me and my dad? I said, no, Mom, that's you and my dad. That's Lewis. That's Wayne. She said, that was his name, Lewis Curtis? And I said, yeah, Mom, that was his name. And she, she stopped, and she didn't tear up, but she stopped. And you could tell she was thinking. She paused for a moment. She said, It's really sad when you can't even remember the name of your husband. I tell you that this morning for this reason. If you've you've got family that's dealing with this disease, you, you, you know the challenge is there. But I want to read something to you I read this morning or this week about memory. People who have lost their memories no longer remember who they are. That means they can no longer function effectively in the present and they have no secure plans for the future. They've lost their past, and that's emptied their present of meaning and clouded their future. And I've learned with mom, any happiness she has is literally in the moment because she can't remember the past, and she can't remember what's coming up to to take pleasure in that either. So it's all, so I try to, we put her in a place, and I'm so glad God's brought a friend into her life that is, every time I come in and find her, I find Mary, her friend, right there beside her, and they become like this, and they make each other smile because because all they have are the moments. And I come in every, it's the same conversation every time I come in and say, I see mom, and hi, Mary, how are you? And she looks at me kind of funny, sometimes a little cross, and says, do I know you? And I say, Mary, yes, you know me. Hi, Mary. She said, who are you? I said, I'm her son. We've met before. Oh, okay. And then she smiles and it's all, she's nice to meet you. And every time I come in, it's the same conversation. And I try to get over and see mom because all she has is the present. Because when you don't have your past, that's all you've got to live for. And friends, that can happen to the church. When we forget who we are, and where we came from, what God's brought us to be and how God, is, God got us to where we are. We can find ourselves just existing in the present rather than living and walking in victory and who God has called us to be. 
And I want to take that back to what I, I, I read earlier. We must remember it is a holy people. God has called us to be. God's called us to be a holy people. We must not forget who we are, where we came from, or how and why God brought us to where we are. And I want you to get this. God has called, I, I want to look at each and every one of you this morning. God has called you to be holy. And what God has called you to, God will give you the power to accomplish. If God has called you to be holy, God will give you the power to be holy. Not perfect, but holy. God will give you the power to be holy. And I want to share this morning some of our history. Not, not the specific history of Souls Harbor, although that would be a fun and maybe a message someday as well. But I want to give you the, the, a little bit of the history of the church. I want to talk for a few minutes about the church. Because I want us to see where we came from to know how we got here and what we need to do to go forward. You all know the, the story of Acts. You know the church. You know the church began in the first century. You know the church began in power. The church began in authority. The church began on the day of Pentecost. Many say, some say at, at the resurrection of Christ or the ascension or how, however you choose to work that. The church began and the church began as a group of people that were walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church began as a people that were walking and there were healings and, and there, were, there were moments where God set people free from demonic activity and there were miracles and there were signs and there were all of those things. The church began in power and it began in authority. It also began in persecution because along with the signs and the wonders, there was also persecution. There's a reason the, the 12 all died martyrs. There's a reason that Stephen died the first martyr. There's a reason that Paul most likely died a martyr. The church began in victory and power, and we love to shout and scream and, and, and get excited about that, and we should, but we also got to remember it, it, it also began in persecution and some pretty hard stuff. It began, it went through the first century that way, it went into the second century that way, still walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost and all of those things. Around 313 AD, an emperor, a Roman emperor by the name of Constantine, you guys ever hear of this guy? Constantine was the emperor of Rome, and he decided Christianity was for him, and he adopted Christianity as, as his own, and very shortly after that, the Roman Empire made Christianity the formal religion of, of, of the empire. Some say Constantine did it because he had a sincere change of heart. Others say he did it for political reasons because it was a means to pull his empire together that was starting to unravel. I don't know. It doesn't matter But Christ, because Christianity became the, the religion of Rome. And it held that way for a long time, and it developed, and it became more bureaucratic, and it lost a bit of its passion and a bit of its fire, but it still was something we would, in large part, I think, recognize as Christianity. But then came right around the year 500 A.D., and Rome fell. And with the fall of Rome, this world fell into what is known as the Dark Ages, the Medieval Period, the Middle Ages, if you will, and it carried on for 1,000 years. Now get that, hear that this morning. A 1,000 years with the fall of Rome, nobody had control, and it was brutal, and it was starvation, and it was, for, I, I mean, our nation has only been a nation for, what, 250 years? I'm talking about a 1,000 years humanity was hanging on to survival, and it was bloodshed, and it was war, and it was clan against clan, and tribe against tribe, and and, and it, was, it was brutal times, and the church survived. But the church in that period also developed, and, and some of the things it developed were what we would describe today as Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic in nature. 
the sacraments, the seven sacraments, the church came to see the way to salvation to be through what they described as seven sacraments. And, and if you wanted salvation, if you wanted grace, it had to be extended to you by the church. The church had the power to save or not save based upon whether they offered you, gave you, allowed you to participate in the sacraments or not. And that's the way the church worked for thousand years till we come up to about 15 the 1500s early 1500s and then something happened the church hit a point you ever, you ever hear the final straw it, they kind of hit that final straw moment where it had become so corrupt that they wanted to build a basilica in St. Peter's Square I believe it was or, or St. Peter's Basilica and they decided I know how we can raise money for this let's sell indulgences you guys ever hear this indulgences sell indulgences. And basically, in a way an indulgence worked was, it was the belief, it was the teaching that when you die, you don't go to heaven or hell unless you've done enough good works to get to heaven. Most people go to purgatory. And if your loved one is in purgatory, there is a treasury in heaven of grace and mercy. And we can take some of that grace and mercy and we can pass it to your loved one in purgatory and get them from purgatory into heaven if you will just give us $29.99 a month. I don't really know there wasn't any amount, but you bought the salvation of your loved one. And a, a, a Catholic priest by the name of Martin Luther, that was the final straw. That was the moment in time where he said, this cannot happen anymore. This is not right. This does not line up with the word of God. And thank God for a priest that had the courage to do that because the majority of the world at that time couldn't even read to read the word of God and they didn't have the word of God available. All they had was what they were taught at best. And thank, he took his 95 thesis and he nailed it to the door and said to the Catholic Church, you may excommunicate me, which we don't think much about, but you've got to understand in his world, to be excommunicated was to have your soul damned to hell for eternity. It was a big deal to this man. But he said, this cannot stand. He nailed his thesis to the door and, and he said, this is not it. And, and Martin Luther did something for the church. And here's our history this morning. Here's the first piece of it. It's this, that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. That was what Martin Luther gave to us. And sometimes people get frustrated with me because I preach so hard that we need to stop being people that tell others you need to get this cleaned up in your life and get this cleaned up in your life and get this cleaned up in your life and then give your life to Christ we, because all of a sudden we're starting to tack works back onto salvation. And I'm telling you, all it requires to be saved is faith in Jesus Christ and we are saved by grace. Let them give their lives to Christ and let Christ begin to work in them. But that's what Martin Luther gave to us, and that's what we preach to this day, and that's our history, and that's our present, and that's our future. Not only that, John Calvin, his contribution to this, and they, him and Luther went different directions on a lot of things, but one thing they agreed, in, agreed on was this idea of total depravity. And one of the things they brought back was the, from Scripture was the reality that we are all sinners. They looked at Isaiah, your righteousness is filthy rags. They looked at the New Testament, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And they looked at Genesis and the edemic nature, and they realized that we're all born with, in a, a sin nature, and it has a hold of us. And we cannot do good, and we cannot do right in and of ourselves. And they brought this concept of total depravity in the 1500s and the 1600s. This became a part of who the Protestant church was. It's our history. It's who we are, where we came from. Well, let me take you forward for a little bit. Let's go forward to the 1700s. Let's go, let's go forward to the American Revolution. The American Revolution is taking place, and America is fighting a battle for independence, but also a battle for religious freedom. 
America's fighting a battle against England in the late 1700s. And when we win that battle, what I shared at the beginning of this message begins to happen. And all of a sudden, we're fighting the battle not against England, but we're fighting an internal battle that says, who are we going to be as a people? And there was a compromise, and it was not a good compromise. It was an ugly compromise, but it was a compromise that says, let's put together the documents, and we're going to proclaim that all men are created equal, even though we're not living up to it as an entire nation. We're going to proclaim it, and we're going to work towards it. But it was a bloody, brutal time. We know of the American Revolution. Most of us have heard, learned that in history class. What we don't always know about is the same kind of thing was happening around the world. The French Revolution took place in the late 1700s, 1789 to 99, 10 years. Do you all know about the French Revolution? This is brutal. Anybody here ever build a guillotine? I asked that first service, and everybody looked at me weird. Anybody ever build a guillotine? Not, not to take, not to execute somebody, but it splits oranges really well. No, no. Somebody's going to go out and do this now, okay? Watch your fingers, and if you hurt yourself, you didn't hear it from me. The guillotine became the primary tool of execution in France, and, as, and that, that revolution did not follow our revolution. There was no solid government. There was no government that came together. It was one government taking down another government, taking down another government for 10 years and thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And the numbers are right. I mean, it was the point they had to find new ways to execute people and run them through the guillotine because they couldn't keep up with the executions that were going on in that country for 10 years. It was thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were executed. And believe me when I tell you this morning, I was unaware of this till I began to study history a little bit deeper than I ever had before. America was very aware of what was going on in France. France, as they came out of that 10 years, Napoleon came to power and the, the powers of Europe for the next 10 or 15 years were at war against Napoleon. He tried to conquer Europe. He wanted to be the emperor uh, of, of the entire continent once again. And it was a bloody, brutal time. And coming out of that in the eight, early 1800s, all the bloodshed and the problems and the slavery issue something began to happen in the church. Something began to happen in America. There was a man by the name of John Wesley. You guys ever hear this guy, John Wesley? He began to preach and he began to study Scripture and he began to proclaim something that hadn't been proclaimed, that Luther didn't proclaim, that those before him hadn't proclaimed. He began to realize and he began to proclaim that eternal life doesn't, isn't meant to begin when you die. Eternal life is, begin to, is it's meant to begin when you give your life to Christ when you're saved. And he said, Pastor Barry, I don't, what do you mean by that? Well, too many of us, we give our lives to Christ and we think, okay, I'm saved now, I'm going to heaven. I just got to kind of hang out here for the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years till I die, and then I'm going to go to heaven and get eternal life. But, but Wesley began to preach that the moment you give your life to Christ, Christ begins to, wants to, begins to want to work in you. And that total depravity, that old hook that is in us, when we're saved, when we give our lives to Christ, we're forgiven, we're no longer guilty, but that hook has a tendency to remain there. You say, Pastor Barry, no, it doesn't. Now, now, now wait a minute. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands this morning but is there anybody in this place that you have something in your life that you struggle with and you fight with and you're challenged by and it pops up and it's sin and it's not holy and it's not right and you go to bed at night thinking about it and you want to be set free, but the freedom doesn't seem to come? 
I've watched it in people. I've seen it in people. I struggle with things in my own life. It can be anger. It can be hatred. It can be jealousy. It can be a tongue that doesn't stop wagging. It can be lust. It can be perversion. It can be an addiction to a substance. It can be, it can be greed. It can be any one of many things in this world, but there is that hook that seems to have a hold in the people of God. New Testament talks about besetting sins, sins that so easily beset us. And there are those things. And Wesley came along and he said, listen to me, I want you to know this. And this is what I want you to get this morning, okay? God saved you. He gave you eternal life, not to just survive until you die and go to heaven, but he, he also wants to give you eternal life from this point on, which means the curse is broken. The addiction doesn't have to control you. The fear doesn't have to control you. The gossip doesn't have to control you. The hatred doesn't have to, to guide and direct your life. You can be set free from that thing that is a hook in your life. John Wesley come along and he began to preach this. He began to preach a religion of the heart across America in the early 1800s. He began to, he began to preach to people on the, on, on the frontier, to people that all they'd ever heard was creeds and ritual he began to preach a message of passion and presence and relationship and God and salvation and sanctification. And they were drawn to it. They were drawn to it. He began to preach that by sanctification, we're freed from the power of the root or the hook of sin in our lives. We're restored to the image of God. He preached two things. He preached that it was gradual. From the moment of salvation, God is constantly working in you. I believe that to be true this morning. But he also preached something else. He began to preach something else that becomes really important for us as Pentecostals. He began to preach that there is also a moment in time, a second work of grace. You get saved, but there's a time at an altar. There's a time with God where he will come and there will be a second, there will be an instantaneous moment of sanctification. And it got called Christian perfection, and a lot of other things, but it was a, a moment where there's a complete surrender to God and God steps in. Then something happened in America. We moved into the middle 1800s and America had a problem. It was the same problem we had in the late 1700s. We had a slavery issue and civil war and this nation broke out. And with civil war, this nation lost its focus on presence of God and the sanctification and the holiness and we became just about the slavery issue and just about survival and when it was over when the civil war was ended this nation was broken and bloodied and burnt and suffering and hurting and in a really bad place and you know what the church did you know what the church did the church, as we came out of the Civil War, did the same thing they had done coming out of the time of the French Revolution and the War of Independence. They began to cry out to God. And they began to call out to God and say, God, there's got to be something better. God, there's got to be some way we can change this nature. There's got to be some way we don't go through this again. And the church began to cry out to God. And the Methodist church that Wesley had formed had gone through its own transition in that period of time. And not totally, but in large part, we're no longer interested in the camp. We'll see how old you all are. You remember camp meetings? I mean, that doesn't necessarily connect you all the way back to like the late 1800s, but camp meetings, right? You remember camp meetings, tent meetings? I remember tent meetings with sawdust on the floor. You, if, if you got to... Anybody remember this? Am I the only one? A couple of you? Yeah, I, I, I can remember those. There was no, no air conditioning. There were no walls. You literally put it up in July. I don't know why you would do that, but you would put it up in July, and, 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 then, and then you'd have service at night after it was dark, I guess. Camp meetings, there wasn't much interest in that, and the Methodist church had kind of made a shift 
towards more of a liberal bent, but there was a group of people that were hungry for God and begin to rise up and say, we need what Wesley preached. We need what Wesley taught. We need this moment of sanctification. We need to be set free. We need to have the hook removed from our flesh. Some of them were Baptists. They were crying out for a, a presence of God. Some of them were Presbyterian. Some of them were Methodists, and they were crying out for a, pre a presence of God and a freedom, and it began to take place. The holiness movement kind of rose out of that in the late 1800s. And the thing that they offer to us, our history, was the idea that God has called you to holiness and He's empowered you to be holy. We don't preach that enough anymore. And the way you get to that holiness is, yes, it's that gradual process, but it's also that moment of tarrying at an altar and waiting on God. We used to call it praying through. And you wait on God. And you wait on God. And you wait on God. And you call out to God. And if you don't get your deliverance that day, you come back the next day and you pray and you talk to God and you seek God and you're hungry for God and you're hungry for the presence of God. That's what the holiness movement brought us in the late 1800s. But then something began to happen. Late 1800s, North Carolina. Church services in Tennessee, camp meetings in Tennessee. Kansas, Topeka, Kansas. Azusa Street, the Azusa Street Mission out in, in California, something began to happen as these people were coming from all denominations and all backgrounds and they were praying and they were crying out and brokenhearted before God and broken for their nation. As they began to pray and they began to seek that second work of sanctification, something began to happen. The presence of God began to fill their camp meetings and fill their tent meetings and fill their churches and, and people began to feel the presence of God and, and people began to speak with ecstatic utterances and tongues, and they didn't know what to do with it. I, I mean, many of the pastors, I, I mean, there was no Pentecostal church. There was no Pentecostal theology, so they went back to the Word of God, and they began to read the book of Acts chapter 2, and chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and throughout the book of Acts, they begin to read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and, 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 and 11, and they begin to realize this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that which was poured out upon the church in the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. This is that which was spoken that is for your children and those that come after them. And they begin to be filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And we, as Assembly of God and Pentecostals, we preach this often out of Acts 1.8. You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the uttermost parts of the world, which is true and accurate. We preach about the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses and to go. But what I want you to see this morning is knowing our history, the, the original reason for the baptism in the Holy Spirit and where it came from was people crying out to God, sanctify me. God, give me eternal life now. God, set me free from the bondage of sin. God, break this hook in me. God, deliver me. They were praying it from Galatians 5. Walk in the Spirit, and you will no longer fulfill the lust of the flesh. And it began to happen, and people began to be set free. You see, this thing of sanctif sanctification is a real thing. It's a work of God. It's a work of grace. It's a choice to surrender and go all in with God. It's a choice to seek God, to seek more of God after I've sought God, to seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And one of the things I find so 
interesting is, as they came to the altar to pray, they didn't come praying, God, let me speak in tongues. They came praying, God, give me more of you. God, set me free. God, deliver me. And the tongues came. God, give me more of you. This thing of being set free is so powerful. Let me read this passage to you again. Proverbs 11, 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, a nation is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it's overthrown. I want you to know our history this morning. We're blessed as a nation because God's people have made a choice to be holy. We will be blessed in the future if God's people, as God's people, choose to be holy. The day we as God's people stop pursuing His sanctification and His holiness, His presence and His touch, His deliverance and His freedom, the day we lose that freedom is the day we lose that blessing. And we in the church so often, we look at our nation and we get really upset with it, and understandable, and we think all of those people out there have got to stop their evil ways. They've got to stop their perversions. They've got to stop their choices. They've got to stop their lifestyles. They've got to stop their language. They've got to stop their sin. Listen, there have been nations that have fallen because the whole nation was wicked. It has happened. But do you know why Israel fell? Israel fell because God's people chose to be wicked. And I believe we as the church... We as the people of God in this day, and this season, we need to make sure that our focus isn't on what they all need to stop changing and our focus needs to be back on God. I've got to get hungry for you. I need to be sanctified and set free. See, the blessings of God comes because God's people are holy. And they're not lost because God's not, those not God's people aren't, aren't holy. We don't expect them to be holy. They're lost because God's people stop being holy. Let, let me, let me qu paraphrase, quote the first part of this scripture. You all know where I'm going, I think. Listen to what it says. If my people, not those people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. You understand what I'm saying this morning? And my question for you is what is it in your life you need God to step in and set you free from. What is it? And I, I don't want an answer this morning. I hope the Spirit of God stirring within you this morning something inside that says, God, I'm ready. I'm desperate. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I want more of you. I need more of you. I need, I need eternal life now, not eternal life when I die. I need eternal life now. I need victory now. I need freedom now. I need to walk in the joy and the peace and the fruit of the Spirit. I need to walk in the victory that you can offer. And yes, with that will come the power. It will come the power to witness and the power to pray and the power to pray over sickness. But before we have the power to witness and the power to pray and the power over sickness and demons and disease, we better have the power to get the hook out of our own life and our own heart. Amen? And God this morning, I want you to know this, God this morning wants to set you free and He wants to keep you free and He will give you the power to walk in the holiness that He has called you to walk in. God desires that for your life. He desires that for your life. That's what I'd like to do this morning as we transition into an altar call. If you'd stand with me. 
And what I'd like to do is open these altars. And if you happen to be on a Facebook feed this morning and would like to participate, do it right there where you may be. Just pray and call out to God. And I'm going to open these altars this morning. And this is, this is the altar call. This is, this, is, this is the invitation. If there's something in your life that has a hook on you, and it, it, you know, we, we always want to go to the big stuff. It may, be, it may be jealousy. It may be greed. It may be fear. It may, I don't know, what, whatever it is. And it may be a big thing. You may be dealing with an addiction in your life. You may be dealing with something really what we label big. But you know, you know what's big? What's always big is the hook that's in me. That's what's big, regardless of what it is. And this morning, I want to invite you to come and find a place and bow your knee and spend some time with God and cry out to God. And I, my prayer is this morning, and it was the first service, the same prayer. God, will you stir in us a passion, a hunger, a thirst, a desperation for your presence, a desperation for more of you? Because I know this to be true. If you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, when you get hungry and you get desperate like I'm describing, there will come a time, a place, a moment where he will fill you with the Holy Spirit. We used to have evening services where we'd come and we'd pray for hours and hours and hours for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it literally was hours and hours and hours. I've been to those revival meetings. In fact, I prayed for God to fill me with the Holy Spirit at such a revival meeting where we would come. We came for five days in a row and people, I've come to the altar at the end and people would pray for me and pray for me and pray for me. And I was never ever filled with the Holy Spirit, but I was prayed for and I was hungry. And it was a few weeks later driving home with my wife on a dark county road in northern Indiana. She was asleep. And all of a sudden, as I sat there in the car, I drove the car, I felt the presence of God fill that space, fill that pray, that, 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 that car, that in the presence of God, and I began to pray and worship, which flowed into speaking in other tongues. And it baptized me. I shared a few weeks ago, my dad, he was raised Baptist, and he was so struggled with the baptism in the Holy Spirit when he got saved and, and when he married a Pentecostal girl. And he said, God, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it when I'm asleep. And my dad woke up in the middle of the night speaking in other tongues, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what I'm asking you this morning is don't come to the altar and pray for tongues. What I'm asking you this morning is come to the altar and pray for God's presence. Pray for God's touch. Pray for God to set you free and to sanctify you. And then just be open. Open to God filling you with the Holy Spirit. If you're hungry and desperate for our nation, you need to be at the altar. If you've got a hook in your life, you need to be at the altar. If you just want more of God, you need to be at the altar. The altar is open. You need to be where you, if you can't kneel, that's fine. Sit where you are, the front row, you, 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 whatever you need to do, that's fine. But let's spend some time with God this morning. Would you come? Would you come? Holy Spirit,
and change our hearts as we stand on your word. Holy Spirit, second service I, I don't believe I know God still baptizes in the Holy Spirit and we used to have those evening services and those hour long tearing sessions and we cultures just changed and, and we just don't but God's still able and what I would like to do this morning is if you would like I'm going to put it this way if you would like more of God in your life if you are open to God filling you fuller of his presence than you've ever been, I'm going to invite you to come. And I want to, what I'm going to do is just anoint your hands and then have you go on back to your seat. Anoint your hands. And I believe God can baptize you in the Holy Spirit in your sleep. Although that's unusual, but it does happen. Or in the wee hours of the morning when you get up to spend time with the Lord. Or driving home from work. Or wherever you may be. God will fill you or refill you with his Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you this morning to come and let me anoint you with oil. Just to, I'm just going to anoint your hands. And all I ask is be open to more of God. And I believe if you're open to more of God, open to the presence of God, open to the Spirit of God, 
Don't be surprised if you don't. As you worship and you praise, you don't hit a point where you begin to speak in other tongues. But regardless of when that happens, as that happens, how that happens, if that happens, be hungry for God. And you will never go wrong. And it is in that it is in that hunger for God that you will find yourself not only being set free, but kept free. Now, and, and, and get this. Don't miss this, okay? I believe that if you were at this altar this morning praying for God to break a chain in your life, to break a hook, you're free. You say, Pastor Barry, how can you say that? Well, I, I can say it because the Word of God teaches it. We're free. If you were, if you were sincerely after, seeking after God, you're free. I can say it as, as God's pastor in that authority. You are free. But, but get this, there's a difference between being free, being set free, and being kept free. If you were at the altar praying, you're free. God has set you free. But here's the thing, to be kept free, I've got to stay at that altar. In my heart. It's in my walking close to God that I stay free. It's in my regular worship that I stay free. It's in staying close to the presence of God that I stay free. And that's the connection to this thing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The more of Him I have in me and the more of Him I walk in all the time, the freer I will stay. Does that make sense? And that's what I want. And that's more importantly, that's what God wants for your life. If you'd like to be anointed, your hands anointed with oil and, and, uh, and, and you're willing to step out and say, God, I just want more of you, whatever that looks like, come and stand right here in the center. Just somebody step out and I, I will anoint you with oil. If you happen to be on the camera this morning on the Facebook feed, just reach your hands out and we'll do the same thing there. And we're going to believe God together. Jesus. this morning just come Jesus Lord we pray touch him Lord I pray God for your anointing Lord I pray for your baptism I pray for more of you in their life more of you in their heart Holy Spirit work in them Lord I pray God not only fill them but refill them fill them fuller than they've ever been before God with your presence God with your touch God with your glory in Jesus name Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name to me this morning, folks. God did something at this altar for you. Walk in that. Live in that. Stay in that. Stay in that freedom. If you come back and say, Pastor Barry, I stumbled last week. I stumbled. This is my answer. That altar is always there. Not only in the church building, but wherever you are, that altar is always there. And all God asks is come with a broken and a sincere heart. And he will set you free. He will set you free. Listen to me. I want to hear your stories. I want to hear your stories of God freeing you, setting you free, walking in freedom. I want to hear your stories. I want to hear your stories of deliverance. I want to hear your stories of more of God. I want to hear your stories of baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want to hear your stories as they happen. Come talk to me. Share them with me. Father, I pray right now over your people, over this church, over those in the sanctuary and those online. God, I pray, pour out your glory. Pour out your presence. God, I pray, fill us with your, your presence, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And stir in us a hunger, God, to not only walk as church people, to walk as holy people. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for your blessings again upon our nation as your people choose to walk with you. Amen and amen.
God bless you guys. Love you. Appreciate those of you that watched online. Have a great afternoon. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.